Wow. Well, big thank you to Joey for coming and filling in. You may, you may not have heard, that, but Max and Maggie were exposed to the COVID-19 virus this week, and so they're quarantined for, I don't know, 10, 14 days, whatever it is. So uh, we were sorting through all of our options to try to figure out what do we do. And uh, we talked briefly about uh, Dave leading the acapella. We decided, we decided that maybe that wasn't the best plan. So uh, Joey graciously agreed to come and uh, play guitar and, and lead. And it worked out really well. So thanks so much for coming, Joey. Appreciate it much. Thank you. God bless you. I don't, know, I don't know if we've got Joey under contract for next Sunday or not, but I think uh, Max and Maggie are not going to be here next Sunday either. So um, anyway, be praying for them. Uh, most of you know, I assume, that Irene had a brief visit to the hospital and is doing better. She's back home, uh, getting stronger. I was excited Wednesday night at the Wednesday night Bible study that she was there on Zoom. She looks kind of funny with those headphones on. I don't know about those headphone things, but uh, anyway... Uh, I had a brief conversation with her on Zoom before Bible study, and uh, the most important thing she told me was that she was praying for me. And so uh, that was encouraging, and it was good to see her and talk to her. So continue to, to pray for her. And there's, there's many in our, in our church family that uh, we want to remember, and as I start down the list, I'm going to forget. But uh, I'm just assuming you know that uh, Sandy's still recovering from her surgery, Mark from his foot surgery. Mark's all the way in the back. It's just kind of out of my line of sight, but uh, he's back up on his feet and doing well, and so we're continuing to pray for him. Um, anyway, the, the list goes on. Uh, Daniel Colon is home from his surgery, and we're continuing to pray for him and uh, just trust God to be at work in, in his life and uh, Tracy's returned from her trip uh, with the death of uh, brother-in-law back in Michigan, and so it's good to have her back. And uh, I ought to give you a brief, uh, just a brief reminder that our search committee is meeting again this afternoon. This will be our third time meeting, so it's a little early for me, us to answer the question. No, we do not have a candidate, so don't ask. Uh, but we're in the process, and uh, we're making a. We're today. I think Tim, we're going to make a decision today. That's probably going to be one of the most important decisions we're going to make uh, as we get this process rolling. So 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, be praying for us uh, and our committee as we meet. Lord, as we share this uh, morning together, uh, we've, we've just sung about your glory. We've sung about your honor. And that's truly our heart's desire this morning as we gather here in this place that you've provided that everything that is said, everything that was done, is done would lift up your name, that you would be glory, glorified, that you would truly be honored. And Lord, we're grateful for your provision. We're grateful that you have entrusted to us your very words. That as we open our Bibles in just a moment, we're not simply looking at the best thoughts of men. We're not looking at the words written by uh, religious experience. We're reading your very words. And so, Lord, our prayer as always is that you would speak this morning, that it would be your voice that we would hear. And so, Lord, be present in this moment. Join us here in this space. Speak through your word is our prayer together as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, some of you know I live about 35 minutes away, and so my route of travel typically is I come down the 57 freeway, I come west on the 60 freeway, and then merge uh, to the 605 and come down to the church. 
And this morning, as I was merging from the, the 60 onto the 605, uh, there was this car next to me in the lane as I was going past. I don't know why people drive like 40 miles an hour on the freeway. It drives me absolutely nuts. Uh, anyone else on that page? Um, anyway, as I was going by this dude doing about 40, um, I just saw the words America, and in the bottom it said, it's time to pray. And so whatever it said, I'm on board with that, right? Uh, and my first thought was, it's way past time to start praying. It's way past time to start praying. And so we've been talking the last two or three weeks about prayer for our nation, uh, what I've called a wicked nation. And I found a quote, actually, um, this is a quote that I pasted on Facebook several years ago. And uh, Facebook, as some of you know, pops up these memories from time to time. And so earlier this week, this quote popped up on my page as a memory from a few years ago. And it's a quote by J.C. Ryle. Um, Dr. Ryle was an evangelical Anglican bishop in Liverpool, England, and lived in the 19th century. He was born in 1816 and died in 1900. So we're going back 120 plus years, right? And this is the quote that I posted on Facebook, again, several years ago. You live in a world of cheating, imposition, and deception. That was written over 120 years ago. It's still true today. You live in a world of cheating, imposition, and deception. Let no man deceive you about the necessity of repentance. That's what we've been talking about, right? That this wicked nation needs to return to God. There needs to be repentance, a turning from sin and a return to God. He says, let no man deceive you about the necessity of repentance. Oh, that professing Christians would see and know and feel more than they do. The absolute necessity of true repentance towards God. There are many things which are not needful. Riches are not needful. Health is not needful. Fine clothes are not needful. Noble friends are not needful. The favor of the world is not needful. Gifts and learning are not needful. Millions have reached heaven without these things. Thousands are reaching heaven every year without them. But no one ever reached heaven without repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a great quote. And I posted it again on Facebook. People need to understand. And so we've been looking at the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And I want you to turn with me again this morning. And let me remind you that Daniel is in a weird place in his life. You think we're in weird times with this pandemic? You think we're in weird times with riots and rebellion and all this stuff that's going on? Daniel lived in a really weird time. He had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian troops when they conquered Jerusalem. He was taken captive as a young teenage boy. Now he's in his early 80s probably is my best guess. And he's, as we discovered last week, he's been in the scriptures and discovered God's promise. And this promise prompts him to a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of repentance for the nation. And so I want you to come with me again this morning to Daniel chapter 9. 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, not, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, And have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. To his supplication, for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. And so last week I suggested to you that this prayer of repentance, this outpouring of sorrow and repentance by Daniel, first of all, was prompted by the fact that he was spending time in God's Word. And it was in reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah 
that Daniel discovered or maybe was reminded. I can't believe this was the first time he would have ever read these words. But Daniel discovered, he discerned, literally, the Hebrew word, he discerned, he came to understanding of Jeremiah's record of God's promise of 70 years of desolation. And as I told you last week, Daniel has now been in Babylon, in exile, for 67 years. It doesn't take a mathematician to figure out there's only three more years to get to 70, right? And so Daniel, on the basis of what he has been reading in the Scripture responds with this prayer. And what I suggested to you last week, the big lesson that I learned from this, is that the reason why we fail to be repentant for our sin personally and nationally is because we fail to spend time in this book. It's this book that helps us to see ourselves as we really are. And it's this book that helps us to see our God as He really is. And the way that we honored him this morning as we sang, especially that last song I love so much, Honor and Glory. And we're going to circle back, Joey, where we started. We're going to finish this morning back uh, on that same theme. And so Daniel is reading his scriptures. He's reading in Jeremiah, and it prompts this prayer. The second thing I want you to notice about this prayer of Daniel is that it's characterized by humility. Nobody ever repents from sin who isn't humbled. Pride is a barrier to repentance. That's true personally, and it's true nationally. And notice, as the Scripture speaks of what Daniel did, after he observed in the Scriptures, he says in verse 3, I gave my attention. Literally, I turned my face to the Lord to seek Him. The Scriptures ought to always do that for us, shouldn't they? That when we see the Scriptures, we understand what the Scripture says. Our focus ought to turn to the Lord. And that's what happened for Daniel. He turned to the Lord, and in humility, that's what fasting and sackcloth and ashes is all about. Those are all symbols of humility and sorrow. And so as David, as Daniel understands this promise, 70 years, 67 years have gone by, His response to this is this prayer of repentance with a spirit of humility and sorrow for sin. Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And notice that the first response of Daniel, the first response of humility is worship. Right out of that statement of the sackcloth and ashes, he says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God. He keeps His covenant, His loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have a God who keeps His promises. He is a faithful God. And Daniel responds, recognizing that God's faithfulness is what motivated him to bring judgment and desolation on Israel. Because he's faithful to his promises. Now you have to go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses is preparing the people of God to go into the promised land, they enter into a covenant with their God. They enter into an agreement, a covenant. They make promises. And if you remember the passage where Joshua says, As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. 
And, and that was kind of the, the response to this time of covenant making with God. And in the midst of those covenant promises, God promised blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. God is faithful to his promises, both to bring blessing and to bring cursing. And so Daniel's responding in worship to a faithful God who has kept his promises in spite of the fact that those promises brought desolation. And I suspect for Daniel, there's also the realization that God in his faithfulness is also going to keep what promise? Seventy years. And Daniel realizes that time is almost up. And so he's worshiping God and he talks about God's faithfulness, God's compassion. He talks about, he's just filled with worship to God. That's where he starts his prayer. And as I was thinking about this, because the next thing Daniel does as a result of his worship of God is now he turns to confession of sin. And it reminded me of something that I have believed, something that I have focused on many times in my life, something I've taught a lot, is a pattern for prayer that uses the word acts, A-C-T-S. Some of you familiar with that little acrostic? The A stands for what? Adoration, worship. Prayer ought to begin with worship of God, not asking for what we want. That's how Daniel prayed. He doesn't ask God for what he wants until he gets down to the last three or four verses. But he begins with adoration, worship of God. He moves to confession where he says, we have sinned. Literally, we have fallen short. We have missed the target We have not lived up to our covenant agreement, our covenant promises. We have sinned. He says, we have committed iniquity. That word iniquity is the idea of something that is twisted or bent or crooked. Instead of following the straight path of obedience to God, they have committed iniquity, twisted, bent. He says, not only have we sinned, we've committed iniquity. Iniquity, he says, we've acted wickedly. And that word wickedly has the idea of actions or behaviors that are outside the realm of accepted behavior. We have acted wickedly. He says, we have rebelled. Now, word rebelled is the idea of receiving light from God and not responding to it. Choosing darkness over light. We have rebelled. We've not listened to the prophets. And so Daniel is confessing sin. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled. One of the lessons I want you to observe here is that oftentimes we misunderstand what it means to confess sin. There's a tendency, well, there's many tendencies that we have, we, we're avoiding the real deal, which I'm going to get to. But frequently there's this idea of kind of a general, God forgive us for all of our sins. And that's okay. But confession literally means to call it what God calls it. In fact, the word in the New Testament is a combination of two Greek words, One means the same thing, and the other word is the word word. 
the same word. Call it what God calls it. And we oftentimes fail to do that. We fail to call it what God calls it. We, we kind of want to avoid real, genuine confession of sin. We like kind of the general idea, God forgive us for all of our sins. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. And that word cover is the idea of kind of keeping it hidden. And we have a variety of ways where we do that. We rationalize what we do. We justify what we do. The best way that uh, we do that, I'm guilty, I'll confess, the best way that we do that is we compare ourselves to others. I'm not as bad as Ron. I mean, look at Ron, Lord. I'm not as bad as he is. And so we compare ourselves to others. We justify and rationalize our sin. The other game that we play is kind of what strikes me here is we don't call it what God calls it. I remember years ago, a conversation I had with one of our pastors when I was still in Long Beach back in the 70s. Joe Price was our our pastor who did like 98% of the counseling, I think. He just had a gift and a ministry. And I remember a conversation with him one day where we were praying together and talking together about ministry. And he'd had a counseling appointment with one of the couples in our church. And the guy had explained to, to Joe and... He, he said, well, um, I've kind of been messing around. And Joe said, well, I'm not sure what that means. And he says, well, well you know, shacking up. And Joe said, no, I, I'm not sure exactly what that is either. And he says, well, I've committed adultery. And Joe said, oh, I know what that is. That's what God calls it. That's, those are the kind of games we play. And Proverbs 28:13 says, he who covers his sin shall not prosper. But he who confesses his sin and forsakes it shall have mercy. And you hear that word mercy. And I remember the first time I studied this passage when it caught my attention several years ago. And as I was reflecting on this and meditating on this, I came to understand that Hebrew word that's translated there, mercy, is a very, very different word. The word mercy, if we confess and forsake our sin, we'll have mercy. That word describes a very intimate, personal relationship. It describes the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. It describes the idea of a warm embrace. A very intimate, warm embrace. And what Proverbs is saying to me is, Roy, if you kind of hide your sin and play games with your sin and kind of cover it up, You're not going to prosper in your walk with me. You're not going to prosper in our relationship. This isn't going where you'd like it to go. But if you will confess and forsake your sin, then you and I are going to have the most intimate and closest relationship imaginable. And if you want that kind of a relationship with God, you can't play around with sin. We need to be honest with God and call it what he calls it. Lord, we've sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. Uh, The list that Daniel goes down as he identifies the nature of their sin. The thing that struck me probably more than anything else in this whole passage is the phrase, open 
shame. He says, righteousness, I'm in verse 7 if I lost you. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. God is always righteous. He's always just. He always does right. You understand that, right? You agree with that, right? God is righteous. And so as Daniel reflects on 67 years, the desolation of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, everything that's happened, he says to his God, God, you're righteous. You're righteous all the time. You do what's right all the time. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. He goes on again in verse 8. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. We have come to a place of open shame. If you have the New International Version this morning, it says we've become object of scorn. I love the way the message simply says we've become an embarrassment. And so Daniel responds to what he's reading in Scripture. He turns his face to the Lord and in a prayer of confession, calling it what it is, praying a prayer of confession and repentance, identifying the fact that they have come to a place of open shame, public embarrassment. Their capital city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Their whole nation has been destroyed. The people have been in exile. They are an open shame because of their sin. And I would suggest to you, as I said already, it all started with humility. And pride stands in the way of true repentance. And there is never repentance until we can be totally honest with ourselves and honest with God. There's a familiar passage that many of you know in Second Chronicles chapter 7 where it's God says, if my people, those who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will, what's the next word? Humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. It's the same theme. Humility followed by confession and then God's answer to our heartfelt prayers. So Daniel's prompting for this prayer is found in the scriptures. His prayer is characterized and birthed out of the spirit of humility. And then his motive for his prayer is God's glory, God's honor. His motive for what he finally asks God to do is not because of the great need that exists. There is a great need that exists, right? And that's a part of Daniel's passion. But Daniel's heart passion is for God's name, God's glory, God's reputation. And if you notice in verse 13, he says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord. In spite of... The calamity, the disaster, everything that they've experienced, they haven't turned to the Lord. Verse 15, he says, Now, O Lord our God, you have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, have made a name for yourself as it is this day. 
We have sinned. We have been wicked. And so Daniel, as he approaches this point in his prayer where he's getting ready to ask God for what he really wants, goes all the way back to Egypt. And he says to God, you have made a reputation for yourself. You have made a name for yourself. When we left Egypt after the ten plagues, when we crossed the Red Sea, when we conquered the kingdoms on our way, you established a reputation, a name for yourself. Do you remember when the two spies went into the land? And the two spies were helped by a woman who was a prostitute, a woman named Rahab. And when they encountered her and came into her home and she hid them from the authorities who were looking for them, one of the things that she said to them is, we, the people there of Jericho, we are terrified of you. Why? We heard about what happened in Egypt. And she even uses God's name, Jehovah. We've heard what Jehovah did in Egypt. We heard what Jehovah did when you crossed the Red Sea. We are terrified of you. God's reputation was here when they left Egypt. People knew what had happened. People heard what had happened. God's name was exalted. And what Daniel is saying is, we have been guilty of taking your glory, your honor, your name, your reputation, and have lowered it. Our lives have dirtied your reputation. We have soiled your name. And that's why Daniel says in his prayer, uh, we're not coming on the basis of our merit. He says in, in verse 18, we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own. We don't deserve what we're asking for. Why are, why are we doing Why Why is Daniel praying this? What's his motive? He says, Lord, in verse 15, you've made a name for yourself. And down in verse 16, he says, it's your city, your holy mountain, your people. He says in verse 17, uh, listen to the prayer of your servants and to his supplication. And for your sake, O Lord... Your sake, your name, your honor. Let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Totally destroyed temple. Incline your ear and heart. Open your eyes. See our desolation. The city which is called by your name. The city of Jerusalem was established. The nation of Israel was established. The people of Judah were established. Why? To lift up the name of their God. To honor and glorify Him. He says, it's your reputation, Lord, that's at stake, and we've taken it and trashed it. Listen, here, on account of your great compassion, he says in verse 18. And then in verse 19, he says this, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen, and take action. Why? For your own sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city, your people are called by your name. Daniel's whole motivation, his whole appeal grows out of concern for God's reputation, God's name, God's glory. We will never repent of sin. We'll never turn from sin unless that's our highest ambition. 
Every day when I get out of bed, my highest ambition for that day should be God's glory. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter who I see, no matter who I talk to, my highest ambition every single day should be that God's name, His glory, would be lifted up, honored, and exalted. Just like that song we sang this morning. And if that's not my highest ambition, if that's, my deepest, if that's not my deepest heart's desire, I'll never truly, genuinely repent of sin. Never. And so it's out of that motive that, that Daniel prays. Wednesday night Bible study is going through the book of Revelation as Ron is leading that study. Two verses that caught my eye as I was thinking this week about God's glory and His worthiness. I don't know if you've gotten to chapter 4 yet, Ron, <laughs> but there's a couple of great verses there. In chapter, chapter 4, verse 11, we find these words, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Then a chapter later in chapter 5, Every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, they're all gathered together. And I heard them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. God does not get a participation trophy for showing up. God is worthy because of who he is and what he does. We honor him not just as a participation trophy. That's just what struck me as I was reading those verses this week. He, is, he alone is worthy. Honor, glory, power, dominion. Prayer for a wicked nation begins with a prayer of repentance for sin. As we pray for America, as we pray for our leaders, as we pray for the coming election, we need to model our prayers after the prayer of Daniel. That we need to model his prayer of worship, his prayer of confession, and yes, his prayer that God would hear and listen and heal our land. But it all begins with a prayer of repentance. Like Israel... America has sinned. America has drifted far, far away from the path that, that God has laid out for us. America, yes, is not God's chosen people as Israel was, but this country was certainly established on biblical truth, biblical values. The people that came to this, this country from Europe all came with that ambition of religious freedom, to worship God, to honor Him. We've drifted a long way from that, haven't we? Like Israel, like Judah, America has earned God's judgment. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, several years ago was reading the transcript of a book that uh, Billy had written, was preparing for publication. And as she was sitting that evening with Billy and he was reading and she was reading the transcript of his book, she looked up at Billy and she said, you know, 
If God does not punish America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I think Ruth kind of captured it. As I read my Bible, God's already started judging our country. It's not something that is yet future. It's already begun. And if, America, if God does not judge, punish America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. So how do you compare with Daniel this morning? How do I compare with Daniel? Compare yourself, compare your prayer life to that of Daniel's. Wow. Daniel, of course, had that habit three times every day. Praying. That was his pattern of life. That pattern of life looked like it was going to cost him his life, right? When they chucked him into the lion's den. Daniel had this pattern of prayer. And here we see his pattern of prayer in a time of crisis. A time of desolation. A time of calamity. A time of judgment. And his prayer is a prayer of repentance. Now, Daniel uses the word we and us. Through his entire prayer. I found one time he used the pronoun I. All the other times it's we and us. Here's this godly man in this high position of authority who humbles himself, identifies himself with the nation and says, We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. The whole list is we, we, we. His prayer of repentance. You and I, like Daniel, need to humble ourselves, turn our face to the Lord, and confess our sin, our own sin personally, as well as the sins of our nation. We need to seek God's favor. We need to seek His forgiveness through repentance. My wife often prays, as she prays about our nation I often hear her speak of asking God to be merciful. That there's judgment taking place in the country in which you and I live. God be merciful. God be merciful. I shared with you last week the, briefly the story of the old-time revivalist Gypsy Smith who preached revivals all across this country, going to churches and public places preaching and calling people to repentance. And he was asked one time, where does revival begin? And he said, I draw a circle on the ground, and I step into that circle, and I make sure that everything in that circle is right with God. That's where revival starts. And as I said last Sunday, my prayer is that revival will start here in this circle here on this property, here in this community, is God's people turn from sin toward God in humble, worshipful obedience, confessing sin. I wrote a prayer. I wrote two prayers, actually. I'll share the first one and the second one in a moment. I wrote a personal prayer of repentance. Maybe some of these thoughts... Maybe some of these thoughts will parallel need in your life for prayer of repentance. I wrote this prayer. 
For every time I fail to be grateful for all you have done for me, forgive me. For allowing myself to drift from you, losing my first love, forgive me. For neglecting the reading of your word, forgive me. For neglecting meeting with you in time of prayer, forgive me. For my failure to believe your promises, forgive me. For my lack of concern for lost souls, forgive me. For my neglect of my family, putting my own needs before theirs, forgive me. For my love of the world and the material things of this world, forgive me. For my critical spirit, forgive me. For my hypocrisy, those times when my actions do not match my words, forgive me. For my pride, thinking myself to be better than others, forgive me. And had I spent more time, I suspect that list would be a little longer. But we need to pray prayers of personal repentance. We also need to pray prayers of national repentance. And I've written a prayer, and I want you to share this with me. At the end of each line, I want you to repeat with me the words, Father, forgive us. For our pushing you out of our schools, our courtrooms, and public life, Father, forgive us. For our murder of unborn children as a form of birth control, Father, forgive us. For our selling of baby body parts to the highest bidder, Father, forgive us. For children murdering their parents, for parents murdering their children, Father, forgive us. For our redefinition of marriage contrary to your model of one man and one woman, Father, forgive us. For husbands beating, injuring, murdering their wives, Father, forgive us. For our active shooters killing dozens at a time, Father, forgive us. For our politicians lying to get votes, Father, forgive us. For our entertainment and media that portrays abuse of women as romance, Father, forgive us. For our preoccupation with sex, Father, forgive us. For our pedophiles preying on children, Father, forgive us. For our abuse of children as sex slaves, Father, forgive us. For our obsession with and worship of entertainers, musicians, and athletes, Father, forgive us. For our social media that destroys reputations, Father, forgive us. For students bullying others to the point of suicide, Father, forgive us. For our glorification of and dependence upon alcohol and drugs, Father, forgive us. For our cyber identity theft, Father, forgive us. For our teachers seducing students, Father, forgive us. We have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Father, forgive us. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Father, forgive us. We are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. We invent ways of doing evil. We are faithless, senseless, 
and heartless. Those last three from the first chapter of Romans. The rest are found in your daily newspaper and your evening news reports. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us individually as we find ourselves in need of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. I'm grateful this morning. I am so grateful this morning, Lord, for the cross. I am so grateful this morning for Jesus. I am so grateful this morning for his sacrifice on the hill of Calvary. The sacrifice for sin that he paid the debt that he didn't owe. When I owed a debt I could never pay. I'm grateful for the good forgiveness, the gift of his mercy and his grace. And as we confess together the sins of our nation this morning, we agree with Ruth Graham, if you don't punish America, you owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet it's in that spirit that we say, Father, forgive us. Father, be merciful. Father, in your great compassion, be kind, be gracious to America. Father, we look to you in this time of division in our nation. We look to you in this time of election, this significant, critical time in our nation's history. We look to you. You alone are our hope. We place no hope in any politician. We place no hope in any political party. We place no hope in any election outcome. We have zero hope in any of those things. Lord Jesus, our hope is in you. Remind us this morning as we pray prayers of confession to you. Prayers of repentance. Choosing not to cover our sin, but to confess and forsake it. Lord, would you welcome us into your arms with the warmest, most intimate of embrace. In your kindness, your love your forgiveness, your mercy. Do that, Lord. Not for our benefit, not for our good, but most importantly, for your glory, for your honor. That you would have a reputation unsoiled and undirtied. That's our prayer, our wish, our desire, our deepest hope this morning. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory, and power, and dominion. You alone are worthy. We acknowledge that together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
church is going to leave this property in the next few minutes. The church is going to exit this property and together we're going to scatter to the places where God has placed us. Each one of us in a special place where we have the opportunity to, for, to live out the truth that Jesus is our reason for living. May that be your ambition in your heart that Jesus would be lifted up and honored and exalted this week as you have opportunity to interact with lost people that need to know the Savior. My prayer for you is that he would truly be the center and the reason this week as you go. Have a great week. May God bless you much.